0: Good evening and welcome to DNI Stream. It is Thursday, seven pm British summertime now, because our clocks have changed. Here on twitch.tv forward slash DNI Stream. Welcome to Documentation Not Included, episode 2.7. Uh we did have a different schedule on today. We had a guest, uh, but unfortunately they couldn't make it. And as people may notice, Josie isn't here either. But I do have a guest. I have a guest that we, we had on the show previously. But he's uh, <laughs> he's uh, decided to to join us today. Hello, Patrick. How are you doing?
1: Hello. I came back from the depths, the depths unknown of the long forgotten dead uh, land of having no internet. There is a grand story behind it. But before that, let's get on going with the rest of the show.
0: Yeah. So um, as as you can see, said so unfortunately Josie's not here today. So uh, and and our guests could not make it. Um, but we are still going to do an icebreaker we are still going to um run the show and hopefully uh, talk about a little bit more in depth uh, about uh, the topic that uh, that um patrick set last week but couldn't make it so we're talking about big versus small companies part two but yep. before we go go on patrick yeah. i believe you have got us an icebreaker
1: Yeah, uh, among many gifts that I brought from the land of no internet, Icebreaker is one of them and today is as follows. What is your most hated color, but viscerally hating it?
0: Hated? I mean, th- this is a this is an arty question though, isn't it? This is for artists really, because I know I know I've I've got a a good friend um, we haven't had on this show, but I've I've done podcasts with him previously called Lou, who has very strong opinions about colours uh, and and specific colour palettes and and mm-hmm. uh, but I mean I'm I don't know I mean I'm not I'm not a fan of like purples and blues that that you know that kind corporate blue yeah that's probably my my least favorite color
1: i see uh the one that i hate is the neon bright pink and that's (laughs) not and that's not because of any real life or aesthetic reasons it's because when you fuck up your shaders when you program they're gonna be at least in unity bright fucking pink and i hate it with passion yes Uh, and straight
0: back into the swearing as well absolutely we've missed you patrick i
1: had to i had to i I was uh i was i was thinking about it before the show when should my first f-bomb be dropped and uh, i was waiting the options between like waiting a bit and like springing it up on you or just dropping it from the start but i I have i have managed to be here last week so you know i had to start with a fanfare
0: Yes, well, uh, so we've had a few, uh, a few people in chat say something. Avina, hello, Avina, and, and Tultepe or Tul. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up trying to actually say say your name. I'm sorry. Um, we have uh, Avina who said I dislike mustard yellow the most. I can kind of get that. It's, I, yeah. it's, it's the combination of colours. Like mustard yellow sometimes works nicely with purple. You know, if yeah. you're putting. Putting a website together, so I'm actually in the middle of doing exactly that, using kind of a mustardy yellow with a purple in a, just a sem- simple site. Oh uh, no, uh, no one else is. I'm so, well, I'll show you it later on, and you can give me your opinion, Patrick. Uh, yeah
1: how how can how could this possibly be looking right? A mustard yellow, especially like d- dirty, like this sort of vomit color yellow. Like, oh, uh. it's not
0: quite that. It's not quite that dirty, but yeah, it's it's a. I don't know. It's a yellow anyway. Um. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I'm, I said I've, I'm really struggling with that, but I totally, I, I totally agree with the pink side of yeah. things. I'm not a fan of hot pink. You know that that yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really uh, quite popular a while ago on in, on uh, the internet. There was a lot of people. Um, there was a um, HTML Boilerplate dot com uh, created a default template that if you highlighted text on when you use their template, the CSS would highlight it in hot pink. And it was people forgot to change it a lot of the time, and it's maybe not as popular now. But right, okay, so yes, let's move on to our show. Our our main subject today is big versus small companies. I said we did talk about this in quite a lot of depth last week, but Patrick set the topic because you've moved from a small company environment into into a big corporate environment that you're not used to at all. So, why did you? First of all, why did you want to talk about that? That
1: and uh, well. The first the the first thing is is that uh, I finally have a voice. I'm no longer a mute member of a chat screaming into the void, so that's mm-hmm. great. But uh yeah, in terms of them like why did I did the move? Uh, mostly because I wanted some stability in my life. I've been freelancing for well, since start of my career really. I've been freelancing and working on small projects. And you know the the All of them, every single time when you undergo a freelance job or especially when you're a partner in a small company, startup especially, it's a gamble. Like, either it can explode amazingly and set you up for the rest of your life or it can explode horribly and in best case scenario, you don't lose anything. And in worst case scenario, you fuck up your life so hard, it takes two years to get back out of that shithole, which kind of happened to me. So... When my previous company, Amber Eye Studios, closed, um, my primary goal and one of the first questions that I had to the recruiters and to the p- in my people I w- I've been interviewing with was, how old is your company? How stable it is? How many people you are? How many people you hired or fired last year? Because I, n- I needed to know the trajectory. And the company I've landed with, which is uh, Scopely, um, most uh, might not know it. It's a mobile uh, mobile game publisher. One of the biggest, actually. It's like you know, you have the you have the king, and you have like the uh, Angry Birds guys, and then you know Rovio. you have like yeah, Rovio, and then you have some other one, and then you have Scopely. So. Zynga,
0: I've yeah, you can Zynga.
1: Also. Yeah, and I think like Scopely is like after those. Right, I've three. I've
0: heard of them before, but yeah. I again, wasn't aware they were a mobile development. Yeah, uh, games yeah, they
1: they company. yeah they they do only mobiles and they do licensed games. So they work with like big big publishers like you know disney or right. wait i don't i don't know if they work with the, i don't know i don't know if they have disney war neighbors for sure though uh they've released like a looney tunes game and wwe stuff like that so you know it's it's a pretty pretty serious business they have going on yeah
0: lots of licensing <laughs> model you know they they take yeah. on licenses from big companies and, and create games for them under yeah. kind of their supervision i'm assuming yeah and, it's,
1: uh, yeah, and it's uh, like the, the advantage of being... So in, in game development, you often have to be picky in terms of what kind of job you're undertaking because even if you're employed, if you release a shit game, it's kind of black mark on your resume. Right, uh, and right. it's, it's, especially, it's especially important for game designers because, well, you design the game. If the game is shit, you're directly responsible for it. Hmm. For technical artists, it's slightly easier because I don't design the game, I don't create the assets, at least not often, only when it's like you know when it re- it's really required and everyone's busy, I mostly just optimize the game and do special effects well, and do fancy shit.
0: You're so- only as good as your last project, no matter kind of who you are. Especially if you're a freelancer or you're you know you're self-employed. Then yeah. essentially, I I'm hired based on what I did last most of the time. It's annoying, but it it happens, you know. It,
1: I think this is for everyone because, like, I I hadn't had so many options uh, before I had official title technical artist on LinkedIn. Even though I was doing technical artist things before, I never was hired specifically as a technical artist. Mm. But the minute I put that into my field in LinkedIn, I was basically there was like avalanche of recruiters on <laughs> in my messages.
0: Yeah, and and that's the problem. I said we've talked about job titles a hell of a lot on this show, and I'm I'm not I. I... I think I think my official job title for one of my clients at the moment is systems engineer. But it's actually a solution architect role and I'm doing I'm actually doing research and development but I'm not even doing so I'm I'm doing it's it's really job title means nothing. It really does. I'm doing this very similar stuff that I've done in the past, but a lot of different stuff as well it changes constantly um, it
1: doesn't matter in terms of like what you're doing but it definitely matters in, in terms of like how other people see you after you finish the job
0: yeah so right okay so let's stick on to the, the topic of big versus small and so what why did you make this jump from did you did you make it consciously or did you or did you want to it was partially
1: out of necessity because uh, because my company closed. Like I couldn't work with well, Amber Eye anymore because it was dead. But, <laughs> but did, uh... did you not
0: were you, did you not feel yourself drawn to the smaller company because that's where that's what you knew? Did you not find it? Didn't you have to, a little bit of trepidation because you? Which... I
1: mean, it was, it was definitely part of it, but even before I joined Amber, I was already in the mindset that I want some breather, I want a few days of, like, few years of stability, but this is what I had, and it was actually exciting projects, and I'm like, hey, to hell with that, let's do this, and it was a good decision because that put me forward, but the, the size of the company wasn't in consideration, um, so like the 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 biggest difference I can notice between and it's scopely it's a really interesting case study because the company itself like it's a global company by now they have permanent offices in Barcelona and they have the main offices in l a um so they're still le- they're still learning how to be a global company because the l a office is like i think like two years old or something like that okay or a one year old like it's very new um so it's 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 in this Stage between transitioning between like small-ish, medium-sized company into global giant entity. So it's interesting to see um, the people's attitudes, and it's gonna be definitely interesting to see the attitude shift and the culture shift over time. As so
0: it's go. interesting there that you said that you wanted stability. Yeah. Now I I've said a lot of times that there's no such thing as stability in any kind of job, whether it's permanent, whether you're a big company, you're a small company. I mean, look, I've I've worked um, I've Spoken directly to people who've worked at big companies like Rockstar, for example. You know, you, you've, you know people who, who've worked at these companies and they've just been sacked off at the end of a project. Oh, yeah. And it happens in the games industry more than any other industry.
1: Definitely. Game dev has extreme high turnout. Like, go, just going by statistics, if you're working more than three years in a company, you're an anomaly. If you're working more than two years in one company, you're probably going to lose your job in a year. Mm. Um simply because because game development like it's it's issue of organization. Uh because there is pre, like single person is never needed throughout the entire scope of a project. Because first you have the design phase, prototype phase, uh, then development phase plus iteration and tests, and it's all all sort of all together. Like the circle of development is sort of mangled in that phase. Yeah. And then you have the release and then you have uh ongoing uh, maintenance slash uh, developing expansions and stuff like that, and ev- and you don't have a job title that's that's uh, present throughout all of them. Maybe like a project manager or something or creative director, like you know the very few people at the very top. Yeah. But other than that, like game designers have most of their work at the start and then like mid to end. Because, like you know, in the in the in the start of the in the start in the mid start, it's like when you start developing the prototype, and like the game designer doesn't have really have much to do because you have to build the fucking game to test it. Hmm. Uh, and that's the reason for for uh, so like you know that could be mitigated by having multiple projects and like you know doing it in like in in waves. So like slightly phase shifted type. Well, of
0: yeah, we, we're getting into the agile versus waterfall type yeah. stuff here again. It doesn't. I mean, I don't know if you have those kind of processes in in. Any of the companies that you've worked for, but we you have mentioned uh, again that that bigger companies have much more controlled processes, much more, yeah. um, and and with smaller companies you have there's more risk, yes, and there's more kind of you're involved in a lot yeah. more.
1: Yeah, like for for example, in Scopely, if I want if I want to propose a new feature, like a new tool for artists or something. At my previous job, I could just like, whenever I have time at work, when I'm waiting for something, I could just like nip on it. Here, I have to make official proposal, like, yeah. you know, send it away, like, hey, here is here is the thing I want to develop. Here is the issue that it's solving. Here are the potential benefits. Here is how long approximately it's going to take me. Here is what I think is the priority of this thing.
0: And now every, every company yeah. is different. Again, I'm working for a really big conglomerate at the moment. And they have they have a, I'm in to do work that is previous to anyone actually doing work. So I'm looking at things and I'm prototyping and researching and developing ideas and developing potential solutions that might or might not get signed off. So it's, again, I wouldn't do, a small company would not have time for that. They wouldn't, I mean, you're lucky if you've got time for that. Even startups that have got investment, all of their production time is going into Getting as much done as they possibly can in the shortest amount of time, and it's do it. Yeah, in a way that in a in a software development company, often you're doing it in a way that is still maintainable going forward. You're still putting your design patterns in place, and you're still putting in um, mo- most of your, um, uh, your your maintenance. You know, ha- the documentation and that kind of thing. But there is a lot of stuff that's skipped as well.
1: I'd say documentation does suffer. Yes
0: and no. I mean, it really does depend. Again, I'm Depends I'm talking from the... a software side of things, not necessarily a games thing, because you don't with a game you. What are you? Documenting? Oh, you
1: definitely do, man. Uh, mate, like, okay, so this is this is probably ND8. So I'm gonna be very vague about it. Yep. Um, when you make a game in Unity, Unity gives you bunch of uh, bunch of systems already developed, like you know, animation system or. Uh, A camera, rudimentary movement system, physics engine, so you don't have to write them from scratch. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of those systems in the game I'm currently working on is basically replaced by our custom thing. Mm -hmm. So I have to, like, there is no other documentation than internal documentation about that thing. And uh, it's mostly good, but uh, could be better. Like, you know, if I compare it to official Unity documentation, it's like, you know, uh, so yeah,
0: but- so there's a core system with, with the system or the piece of software that I'm currently uh proposing for I'm proposing in uh, new solutions that are going to sit in in the middle of the, the architecture at the moment yeah. um, again I can't talk about it in too much detail you know hence NDS, etc um but um there is a core system that sits underneath all of this that's been written many years ago and isn't very well documented. There are a few diagrams here and there. They've got a confluence uh, set up where people are document as they go, documenting as they go. They've got various bits and pieces in lots of different places, but nobody, not one person, knows how everything works, uh, and uh, that people are coming and going all the time, so they're losing information that they needed. However, part of a developer's job part of somebody who's coming in to write a new piece of code or a new feature for a piece of software is to be able to understand that software and be able to read it and figure out what it's doing, why it's doing it in a certain way. Again, that's part of what I'm doing. I haven't actually had much time at all with the developers, but I need to at least, I'm, I'm experienced enough to look at the source code and go, right, I see what they're doing there. And if I needed to write anything, I would be able to kind of get my hands dirty in it. Now, this is again where process comes in. With the bigger companies, a lot of the time, more time is put into things like onboarding and getting somebody up to speed with how they do things and how they their processes work in order to keep it maintainable, keep these absolutely huge pieces of software, these huge technical estates in line so when we get to a point down, down the line where we need to get in 50 new contractors, because we've just won a three billion dollar contract that you needs, needs implementing by the end of next year, that they can just go right. Here you go. Here's we'll set up four teams. there's some team leads. These are the general. Out, this is the general um, process of how we would write a new feature, or we, how we would write a new service, or how we would write a new—I don't know physics engine. If you're in the games industry, or if, if that even is a thing, I think these days it's usually third-party stuff, as you said. Um, but that's why you know that's a, that's a big difference between small and big for me. Yeah. Small, I have total and utter control over the autonomy over the decisions I'm going to make and what frameworks I'm going to use. And for one client, I might use ninject as my dependency container another one i might use um i don't know the built-in net core stuff you know where, again i'm coming from a very different different yeah. world to you but
1: yeah so like well the the thing the thing that i've noticed the so like you know i had two weeks working for scopely and the i've started seeing the pattern i started seeing the re- re- reasoning and the, you know the reasoning behind all those processes and it seems to be like the biggest difference between bigger and smaller companies is is the it is the emphasis on systems but is it is because of their size because they have so many people they optimize the <clears throat> you know the the communication the, they they put so many restrictions well not restrictions but like guidelines on your communication so like you know, feature proposals, code reviews, uh, pull requests, like everything's very formulaic so that it can be easier managed because, you know, like in small company, you have, like five, 10 people in a bigger company, you have like, you know, hundred. Hmm. So, you know, your manager can like, let's say like, there is difference between like uh, being sort of no main manager, just ma- one main decision maker and everyone sort of knows what they're doing of five team, pe- uh, five man team. And like, 30-people team where suddenly there is merge issues that you have to avoid. There is all kinds of issues that you have to avoid. So you have to slow down things a bit to make sure that they are, A, no one stepping on each other's toes, and B, all of it is sort of self-documenting, almost. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, like, even if you don't have the proper documentation, you can go back in the communication logs and find the relevant piece of information, which will be harder, but when it's, like, mission critical Mm. and, you know, everything's on fire and you really fucking need it, you're gonna have it.
0: Yeah. Whereas... Uh it's something really interesting you said there is where there's not one single person who's making all the decisions. Now there is a hierarchy. The bigger com- the bigger the company, the more of a hierarchy. I don't care how big how these huge companies that say they've got a flat hierarchy. It's it's just. Rubbish. I don't care who you are, what you're working for. There is a hierarchy in in your company. There is, for example, a team of system engineers where I work. A team of solution architects that design all of the software and put all of the individual. One person might be working on one particular um, customer-vendor relationship, and they might be working on a particular interface that needs implementing and working through the data and figuring out how all the fields fit together and how they're going to be displayed on the screen. And then there might be somebody else who's working on. Uh, like myself, who might be working on future interfaces and future um, layers that need to be added into an architecture. But there's always somebody above them that, that has to review and sign things off in a bigger company. And this is where, as an independent software consultant, I usually, I used to butt heads a little bit. I used to have a problem with that because I felt like it was control and I felt like it was direction and I felt like it was people telling me how to do my job but when i think about it it's really not it's really not it's a process that is required in order for my client to be able to maintain their software going forward so i have now backed down i've i've now i'm not an awkward bastard anymore like i used to be you know i don't have this this instant reaction of of uh, you know, like gut reaction of, oh God, uh, I, I, I don't want to get involved with that. I don't want to get embroiled in that process. But I totally understand why them processes exist. And yes, the bigger the company, the more processes involved, the more bureaucracy, the more forms have to be signed, the more, the more intranets and sa- single sign-ons you have to go through to actually get to a point where you can. F- the more timesheets you have to fill in for different departments, we have different cost centers, and it's crazy but yeah. it's something i accept these days you know yeah.
1: uh, and it's and it's unfortunately necessary like company uh, a company might and should try to curb down the bureaucracy as much as it can yeah. because it is beyond certain point almost definitely well it's always a time cost and beyond certain point it becomes a time waste yeah. which you know costs you money as a company so you definitely w- you would like to avoid it but unfortunately it is ne- necessary simply because you know of the size like you cannot uh meaningfully organized group of people larger than let's say four without any sort of processes for communication.
0: Uh, No, you're right. Yeah, sorry. I wasn't sure how you're gonna end that, but yeah, Yeah. you're right. If if the smaller the group, the easier it is to manage because, yeah. I mean, it depends on the individuals in the group as well. I've worked in teams <laughs> of four where all four people have been seniors and all four people think that they know exactly what they're doing, including myself. Sorry, think that their way is best, you know, and this mm-hmm. is where the politics comes into it and this is why we have line managers and people who are in place specifically to manage people and manage their egos, you know, we... <laughs> it, it, it happens even in you know in every industry you know
1: yeah chris can i just take like a a 30 seconds to shout out to every single project manager that's out there even if you're doing a bad job god bless that you're there because like i mean there are some bad project managers but you know the ones that i had over the over the six years and the few that i was worked with uh, every single one of them was amazing and made my life easier. And whenever there was no project manager, I could see the project just...
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's different levels. And I, I wasn't laughing because I don't believe in project management or anything like that. I'm a, I'm a strong believer in people yeah, having I specific... Mean... You know, roles in a in a particular project.
1: There can be some very detrimental project managers. Oh, yeah. I, re- I realize that. Um,
0: but there can be there can be poisonous people in any part of an organization. You know, obviously. if you've got somebody, if you've got your your DevOps manager, right, has got a bee in the bonnet about uh, about the way that somebody's put some software together because it doesn't fit exactly in with their system. But this is a new piece of software that's got new processes around it, and there's new business reasons for it. If they've got a bee in the bonnet because it doesn't fit with what they've done because they have to do more work then they're essentially poisonous if they don't get over that and work with the person who's written the software or with the team that's put this software together in order to get it to a point where you can both work together you know that's what it's all about it's getting to a point now if you're being obtrus obtuse, obtuse or, or, or obnoxious you know it, it's it doesn't help anybody and it just stresses you out as well yeah'm uh, i 'm a big believer though in project managers i've 've worked with some hideous ones people who couldn 't organize their arse from their elbow the, the people who literally just sit on things and don 't do anything with it you know they, they don't support the people that they manage their project managing or project managers who try to manage people they 've oh, not yeah. been managing the project which is what yep. they 're there for and the same the same applies we talked to we talked about having um Support people as well. A lot of developers look down at support. A lot of developers kind of you know snub the nose at them because they they're doing a job that that that's a lot of it's it they look right. Okay, I'll, I'll just say they look down at them essentially because they don't do the same job as them. They don't realise that a support person is there to help you get on with your feature, to help you get on with your day job, and they are. If I get a good support person who comes over and bothers me all the time, right, bothers me, you know, in inverted commas, they're not bothering me. They're doing their job in order for me to not have to do their job as well as my job, you know. Yep. And yep. that is in value. The same goes for anybody in a team that's doing their part of the team. And that's another interesting comparison between small and big we've yeah. we've already the, kind of touched on it but
1: yeah and the, the 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 that's a huge i would say like that's a huge advantage of of big, uh, big, big companies just the sheer amount of people and the expertise because uh, i mean it obviously depends on the company culture and attitude but you know here i was uh, i'm blessed with really amazing people that i'm working with everyone is extremely helpful extremely willing to share their uh, to you know share their expertise and take yeah. the time out take the take take their valuable time out of their assigned tasks and come over and sometimes like sit with me even for half an hour and like explaining me a certain system or like letting me know how to find certain things. Uh, because you know when you when you come to the project that's in development for some years, you're gonna have a uh, Easy in curve like that it's gonna well it's not really a, like the curve can be different but it's always gonna take you some time before you familiarize yourself with everything yeah. if you can ever do that
0: and, and i do i have the same as well when i'm when i'm onboarded with any company whether it's small or big it, it, i really value any time that i get off anybody because a lot of the time these projects are under a hell of a lot of pressure and i've been brought in to relieve some of that pressure for whatever reason and if somebody who's working on a production side of things or they're working, you know, on something that needs to be delivered next week, if they give me an hour of the time to draw a diagram and explain something to me, I, I'm i very thankful, you know. And I try and make it make it clear that I'm thankful as well. Atul Tepe says, um, having worked with several projects last year where project management have been nothing more than title. Now, that does happen. Project yeah. managers aren't, again, not always. But the same applies to everybody. Yeah. But you tar people. It's that them versus us thing that we... Again, you weren't here, Patrick, but we had um, we had Dan, Josie's husband, on a few weeks ago, um, and the topic was them versus us. And it was quite interesting because both Dan and I, um, Josie, maybe not so much, but both Dan and I have been in positions in the past where we very much... Uh, harder them versus us attitude. When I was younger, I did. Um, I, people feel like they're just there to be a, a awkward. Feel feel like they're not helping anything, you know. And, and then it kind of breeds this environment where you're not helping each other. And the bigger the bigger the company, the more chance of that kind of thing happening, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely. I and mean, uh, like as, as with any group of people, there are gonna be some assholes, and the more people you have, the more assholes you're gonna have.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's worse. It's worse yeah hopefully i mean again it depends on the kind of the the cultural environment as well and and again the bigger the company the more the more difficult it is to control that environment too because you could quite easily there's someone like me working in the way that i'm working in this company i've got complete control over where i do the work i could go into the office and spend a month in the office and nobody would tell me off i'm i've been at home for three weeks and nobody's told me off but there's a mutual respect there for fact that I know what I'm doing in my job and I've done it for a long time and you know I'm delivering things hopefully anyway you know hopefully they're not they haven't got a, a festering worry in the back of their heads and they're going to have a word with me at some point but you know there's always that thing when you're a remote worker <laughs> whether or not uh <laughs> whether obvious. or not people are, are happy with what you're doing but again kind of digressing a little bit the I think um what 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 do you do you prefer I mean, I know you've only done it for two weeks so far, but do you prefer the smaller company mentality, the chaos, the organized chaos, or do you prefer this more structured, kind of re- regimented uh, yeah. process?
1: I'd say, uh, I'd say I would like, I'd say, well, okay, if it's working, then definitely the structure process of bigger companies. When is this functional, it's like on the bottom of my list. So it's, it's highly yeah. reliant on the company culture. <clears throat> because I could see, like, I'm always in that weird spot where, like, I don't like to lead, but if I have to, I will. And if if person who's leading, like, if if my leader, my superior, is not performing according to my expectations, I will try to step up and perform the role.
0: So you would you would of, yeah. you would override them rather than go and have a have a word with their manager?
1: I mean, I would have a word, like, in the polite way, like, you know, I won't be just like, yeah, you fuck off. More like. <laughs> you know, let's let's talk about this, let's do this, and you know, if like, I had um, uh, at one of the companies I had this issue where uh, my superior was very uh, in my opinion, was a very indecisive pers- uh, person, mm-hmm. in their opinion they were very careful and considerate. Uh, on the other hand, in my opinion, I was a very decisive person, and it didn't took me long to arrive to the decision to list all the pros and cons, and then basically pick the hopefully better option in their opinion I was rash, so this is a you know this is a typical clash of of, of mentalities of approaches yep. but I would just start doing what I was supposed to be doing like what I thought was the best before just like letting them know and I would say well oh by the way there is like here is this done and this done and that done um because I was just frustrated. Like my, my typical example is like we had a meeting on how to implement a certain feature. There are two ways to do it. Each would take me approximately 10 minutes to implement. We're talking about this for half an hour. So yeah. I could implement the feature twice in two different ways and like literally measure the performance in shorter amount of time that it took me to talk with him so like this is the thing that was really infuriating me and I was very hard uh, very hard pushing against it but if I have a capable leader I have like no problem following
0: so that's um, that's an interesting point as well That you you are again we can compare the small company versus the big company and that in a small company you don't really have the luxury of, of delegating and you don't really have the luxury of having a leader who, or a strong leader necessarily you might have someone who runs the studio or runs the yeah. company but Th- that's it, you know. They essentially go, if they're any kind of leader, they essentially go, right, Patrick, this is what we're doing. Can you, what can you do? Please yeah, he- help us with everything, you know.
1: Here, here is what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. You have your expertise. Do this to the best of what we can manage with our resources. Yeah. And be it the development time and the frame rate or whatever, the specs of the hardware that we're trying to target, you know, yada, 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 yada.
0: Yeah, and, and I had a similar experience from my very first job in that I was uh, I, I was taken on as a developer and I essentially ended up running, I've said this every, almost every podcast recently, but I ended up running the IT department, the telesales sales department um, and the hardware and the software and the graphic design as well. I was in charge of everybody essentially because I was the first person there, I suppose, or I was the last person left of the first group of people that were there, you know? So it kind of naturally fell on, on me, but nobody stepped in to, to do anything about it. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: yeah. And, it, and, it's a sh- and it's a shame. So, like, the, the other difference between smaller and bigger companies, in in smaller companies, I had to do everything literally myself. I was the highest authority on technical art, yeah. and, um, you know, if I wanted to make a certain... Or like, if I wanted to upscale an image, it was probably an image that I created. So, you know, I had to literally make everything from scratch that I needed. Here, I am just a technical artist. I am not a 2D artist. I am not an animator. I am neither of any of like multitude of other things I had to do. And it kind of feels nice to say like, okay, here's the thing that I supposed to do and it's done hey Pablo, you're a better artist than me, you're faster than me, can you like do this, 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 and this for me? You haven't
0: found that hard to adjust to then, from being totally in control, well almost totally in control of of any aspect, you know, that you needed to to turn to, to being uh, essentially in charge of one aspect of a particular project or multiple projects maybe?
1: Yeah, uh, no, because I did Elysian Shadows before, and before Elysian Shadows went full-time for me, I was, uh, back when we were like purely hobby project before Kickstarter, um, I was the lead artist and I was managing for other artists. So I already had to manage people and delegate to people. Where I, right. Like, you know, here I'm not managing people. I'm more like asking them instead of telling them what to do. Uh, but it's the same mentality. Like, back then, I... I had to accept that I will never have a hundred percent control over all of the art in *Elysian Shadows* because other people are do- doing it. I can do only just my, you know, art review and adjustments, and yeah. that's it. So yeah, it was it was not no no big deal for me. Like I I found it kind of. So I find it kind of creepy how easily I got into the project and assimilated, and there's like no problem whatsoever.
0: Uh, you come uh, you come across to me as someone who likes to kind of you'll you, you will, as you said, you will take control if you need to, but you mostly like to be told what to do. You like it uh, when you've got a set of constraints.
1: I don't like being told what to do. I okay. like when it's like, hey, here we want to, we, we we want to, like I don't mind it. It's more like I don't mind it. Right. Um, I don't. Uh, I like it when I'm not sure what should be better. So like, you know, I'm, I'm for example, right now I'm working with some really amazing uh, uh, graphic designers, like the titans of industry in terms of how to make a button ma- feel appealing and make <laughs> player want to click it. Yeah. And that might seem fa- fascist, but there is so much psychology and math into it. That oh, uh,
0: marketing point. and user experience. Yeah. Honestly, I learned a hell of a lot about, yeah. about that so over the like, years.
1: I can make nice and shiny button, but if I have a person with 10 years of experience tell me exactly how to make the best motherfucking shining button in the entire goddamn fucking universe, you bet your ass I'm going to listen to them. Mm. And I will enjoy it because I will be learning a lot of new things.
0: That's it. So- You've hit the nail on the head there that's I, again the the benefit for me for working and not necessarily being in charge for working with bigger companies i've got a broader spread of people that i can assimilate information from i can take it all in and absorb it all and i know a lot but i don't know everything and i yeah. i in fact I, when i started this current project i knew nothing absolutely nothing you weren't around for the uh, the dunning kruger Thing have you have you heard of the Dunning Kruger? I wasn't, but I, uh,
1: I uh, yeah, I've heard of it. and so, also Bolmer's Peak. Yeah, I know a little bit. So
0: I've i very recently hit that. I know you realised today that I have been over the last couple of weeks speaking to people at the top of Mount Stupid because yeah. I knew nothing, and and it was a lot quicker learning process. I'm now going up the 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 end the Valley of Despair or whatever it's called, but I, I've it's a much quicker process. Whereas. The first 10 years of my career probably were one entire curve, where now that curve is is reduced down into, oh, God, a week ago I asked a question. Now I know what I know. Oh, God, I must have looked like a complete idiot asking that. (laughs) And and I, and I can. There's so many examples just in the last few weeks of exactly that because I'm learning about an entirely new space that I had no idea. It's not even just an industry; it's a particular. You know, it's it's in this instance, it's IOT, uh, the yeah. Internet of Things. It's but
1: tough, it's a life totally thing.
0: New. Yeah.
1: yeah, and uh, yeah, like that's uh, that, so that's something that I alluded to f- uh, before before in the show, and it's some, and it's probably the biggest contributor to why I'm so happy in Scopely. For the first time possibly in my life I am not the best around in my field of experience, mm. expertise. So whenever I joined the project I was the best artist. I knew I wasn't the best in the world because you know I have eyes I like I've learned from a lot of people online that's how I learned my craft but I was always the best artist or the best programmer or the best whatever because I was only one of that role and I had no one to learn from directly directri- directly on a daily basis. Yeah. Here I have a bunch of talented and because especially because I am technical artist and I'm only technical artist in Barcelona, but we have like I have a bunch of really cool people in LA who are answering my stupid questions. Hmm. Um, but I have here artists which are better than me and programmers which are better than me. So I have two of those primary components. Like you know, for crying out loud, one of the artists she's releasing she's releasing her own comics. And they're pretty fucking good. Cool. Like, she's a really good artist. And, like, it was a dream of mine always to make a comic, but I was never good enough. For fuck's sake, I'm still not good enough. So it's like, you know, there are seriously impressive people. And not being... You have no idea how good it feels not being the smartest person in the room. Well, smarters in quote. I mean, like the best in the field.
0: It's, it's nice to hear that, to be fair, because a lot of people who, who who make that move from this from a small environment where they've got all the control and the full autonomy, and they move into an environment where they are now a small fish in a big pond, they they, they struggle quite a lot. And I I know I did when I did it when I was a kid, because I, I I moved from having all of this responsibility in my very first real job into corporate environments where I mean this was these were in fact my very first job was a similar-ish job to what I'm doing now but it was development it wasn't the architecture side and it was it was for a massive infrastructure company doing a contract for the uh, Ministry of Defence uh, in the UK and all it was was asset management but I was surrounded by people who everybody knew more than me everybody and I, and I, I was like I didn't really know how to handle it back then but I was very young as well so
1: yeah. Like the, the, there is one crucial life skill that, is, as far as I'm concerned, is not being thought and uh, taught and not even being spoken about to the point where most people might not even realize it's a thing, which is called ego management. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, have you heard of it, Chris?
0: Well, I mentioned egos earlier. It's very important yeah. to yeah. To so, so e-
1: yeah. Ego management is being conscious of your ego and being able to like either ramp up or, or tone it down. So, for example, when I'm on an interview and I'm trying to sell myself to the company, I'm ramping up my ego. Yep. I'm fucking amazing. Look, I have like so much experience. Like those, those, those amazing projects. Hey, some of them fail, but hey, it was not my fault. Plus, I got paid for it, so you know, no problem whatsoever. You yep. know, you sell yourself. But, like right now, when I'm like, I have like, I have a question which I know is basic and stupid, but I'm stupid, I'm like, hey, look, can I ask you a question without losing literally the last shreds of respect <laughs> that you have towards me? Like, obviously it's joking, but it's a good setup. And, then, like, and that's, the, that's genuinely the attitude that I have, I'm like, I know I'm gonna look dumb, and I'm not the, I know that I'm gonna embarrass myself, but it's better to be embarrassed for like a few minutes than being stupid forever.
0: Yeah, no, you're exactly right, and I'm the same now. I did again used to have this an ego that couldn't be quelled, Um, but these days, all of my all of my job is asking questions. I'd say ninety percent of what I do is is learning from other people, learning from necessarily not necessarily learning about like technical things. Sometimes it's just learning about how a company does something or how how that person works and how they need me to continue. In order for me to get the best value or the best result for them you know Um, and again you might have conflicting uh, opinions or conflicting values even between two people that you're reporting to or two people that you're doing work for and it's really important to be able to adjust yourself and adjust your ego and your personality based on who you're talking to and how you're how they need you to approach a particular problem I've got one guy for example at the moment who's extremely technical he's outside he's a, a high-level manager so he doesn't get involved in the day-to-day but he's extremely technical he's, he's very focused on the, the the technical detail from um how things work on the ground you know mm-hmm. but he doesn't know how things are implemented by the team that are actually developing things and then i've got somebody else on the other side of the fence who's very focused on product very focused on uh cost and the business drivers and the, the what he can do to convince the business to buy his ideas or buy our ideas or whatever and and it it's different you're juggling completely apples and oranges you know you, you, it's very different and that being able to manage your own ego is very important in that respect because sometimes i need to show myself off other times i need to you know say i'm sorry i misunderstood that or yeah. sorry what does this acronym mean because I've never heard it before. I don't wanna make you know
1: like sorry, I fucked up and now the entire development branch is unusable. Indeed. You're <laughs> well,
0: um we're coming to the end of the show. We 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 were a bit a little bit late coming on today, so we're gonna do our RTFM and then we're gonna go move on to the show clause from now. Unless there's anything else you particularly want to say about small versus big or any other experiences yeah. you've had that are different? Nothing
1: in particular. I think it's going to be a topic that's going to stick with us for a while because Scope, as I said, like Scopey currently has around 300-400 like employees directly and then directly through the third-party companies they own is like close to 800 maybe a thousand yeah so it's it's a gl- growing company and it's gonna be intro like extremely interesting case study on how the company culture shifts so like i cannot wait till my office uh, gonna start looking more like you know the office the tv series
0: uh-huh. <laughs> well oh god which one the the, well, the uk one or the us one
1: I know the one where it's like the environment is more toxic.
0: Well, they're both both as bad as each other. The US one has a bit of a different driver after the second season. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, RTFM, I actually have one prepared this week and I don't normally. um, Do do you want to go first or do you want me to...
1: And please do, maybe you're going to inspire me because I don't have
0: anything prepared. So our RTFM section for anyone who knew who's watching and uh, hello, we... ninety? That's a new name we haven't seen in chat before. So thank you very much for commenting. You say you just said the art of juggling feedback as well, which is yeah. quite important. You know, it's it's not necessarily your just your ego. It's also what people give back to you and how you can and
1: then how we can handle, handle it. Yeah, how um, we handle
0: it because a yeah. lot of people can be very you know reactive and and yeah. not and, thinking and I think, through. I th-
1: I think I mentioned it once already during one of our shows uh, that you know part of my artistic uh, education was like entire quarter of semester on how to take and receive feedback. Yes. Um, how to receive and how to provide it. Mm. Uh, and I and I and I'm a firm believer that it should be part of common core, and it should pa- and it should be especially part of education of anyone who wants to be creative in any way shape or form and for those who don't know i count programmers as creatives
0: uh i think i do these days as well i mean i i'd never really consider myself a particularly creative person but when i think about how people who are non-technical or non-creative look at me they kind of group me in the same category as, as a designer or a, even a, a PR guy you know a lot of PR guys are misunderstood they don't understand kind of what they do The marketing you know that's a creative industry in, in some respects, yeah. in lots of respects yeah anyway so yes to those of you who are new um, our RTFM section section is um, where we have a little bit of a rant about something that's happened this week or, or something that in the industry, that's occurred um, this week. I'd like to have a rant, and I may even have had a rant about these before about acronyms. But acronyms, specifically acronyms that are so specific and so that that uh, is an acronym that exists in the industry for something, but it's 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 specific for a particular project, for a particular implementation, and developers specifically who are t- or. or project managers or whoever is involved in that who continually use this acronym and when you ask them to describe what it is and tell us what it is sometimes they won't tell you sometimes they'll they'll just skip over that detail I've had it quite a few times recently because the industry that I'm working at the moment is absolutely rammed with acronyms but most of the time it's industry ones that I can look up and I can figure out but there are so many project specific ones Just today, I've had three that have popped up that I've never seen before. I've been working on this project for... I'm speaking to these people for uh, four weeks now, and they just suddenly pop these three new ones at me, and I'm like, what? And I still haven't got an explanation as to what they are.
1: (laughs) Okay, so, uh, Chris, I'm going to give you an acronym that you might... Maybe you may know. Uh, I didn't know, and I had to ask, uh, but I know it's not a project-specific, but it's a very fucking niche thing. So... MVVM.
0: M-V-V-N. M-V-V-N.
1: M-V-V-N or M, I don't know. M,
0: remember. so that's model-view-view-model. View view model, uh,
1: model. Fuck, you knew it!
0: <laughs> that's I a, didn't! M-V-C uh, yeah. is model-view-controller, which is a pattern that we use in um, software development to... It, it is, yeah,
1: yeah, it is general pattern of, of software development, and I totally did not knew it existed, and, and M- I was confused.
0: M-V-V-M is just kind of a... a evolution of MVC in a way. Yeah. Um but it's used mo- mostly for um like uh for desktop applications yeah. and things like that.
1: Okay, so so here's here's the real question. Like how is it different from just like having listeners and you know events?
0: Well, I'm not an MVVM guy, so I can't. I can yeah. talk about MVC all day, but MVVM is something I don't really right. touch upon. All
1: right, maybe uh, I'm gonna slowly start inviting people from the company to join in on the podcast. Maybe we can get the guy who designed the entire system for the current game. On, Go for it! And yeah. I can ask ask him all kinds of stupid questions. Yeah, uh,
0: besides, I I can, anyway, but I can't even do a comparison because I don't work with it that much. But it is there is events involved and there is um, uh, yeah. view models and.
1: Yeah, as as far as my ingro- ignorant s- self can say, it's like there's literally the same as just like events and listeners.
0: No, but no, but it has to
1: be different because it's named differently.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean the the model models in a in a particular domain are usually objects that contain uh, information about yeah, data structures, a page or a a view of some description or some something. I mean, in in games, it would probably be. I don't know, I'm, I'm struggling how to apply MVVM I mean, to games. But...
1: You, you can think about oh, it in like terms of UI and 2D stuff. 2D
0: games, because... yeah, UI, definitely. Because yeah. MVVM is used in um, WPF, which is a, a Microsoft evolution of Windows forms. Mm. Um, so it's it's used quite heavily in that, and it's all about yeah. um, returning events or, or controlling events and subscribing to those events. But to me, the observer pattern works better for that. But anyway, we're not going to go into that. We're not talking about design patterns this time. Yeah, Do you um, have I mean, an RTFM? Like...
1: I guess that, that was my RTFM, a little bit of nerdy talk, because okay. I am, I'm not, uh, I gotta I, I, I say, like, since I moved here to Barcelona, I haven't really been angry, I don't have anything to be angry about, I am uh, throw, throwfully, I still can't pronounce this fucking word, but I really like it, um, throw, whatever throwfully like completely but nicer thorough thorough thoroughly thoroughly uh, th- yeah this one thoroughly. i will someday <laughs> learn how to pronounce this word but maybe not today i would say that's it like <laughs> yeah. um T-
0: tultepe says sounds like my company lots of awesome acronyms made up by salespeople is awesome the right word to use there
1: yeah, I I think that was ironic. I think that was ironic also. Yeah. I think that was the I'm screaming in pain and suffering
0: also. I I I mean the thing is the, some industries really require an acronym, you know, to to simplify or to make it easy, especially when you're writing documentation. You know, as long as you've got a good glossary and you you know you've you've referenced it and you've explained what that acronym is does and not just what the acronym stands for, what the acronym stands for and then what it actually is, you know? And that applies to every document that you write because a lot of people will be reading it in the context of, I've only got access to this one document. I don't have access to the 20 that you've written previously. And I know you're copying and pasting and I know that you're repeating yourself over and over, but please give me some context when I'm reading something. Anyway, right. Or in in an email most of the time, to be fair, these just popped in like, oh no, this actually is this in this industry. I was talking about a data structure today, actually, and I I sent an an email to somebody I said to them, oh, um, the specification that you sent me doesn't match the data structure I was sent. Um, can, you, um, can you elaborate or can you give me a bit more information? Um, and he said, oh, that's the... G- I can't even remember the acronym now, but this is that's the GEV um, spec. What I was talking about was the DEX spec. Oh, right, great.
1: Yeah, that explains <laughs> everything. Yeah, now I, I know I'm literally now. everything. No more, no more questions from
0: me. Yes. Right, so... That is the end of the show. Thank you very much for everybody who's watching, um, who's been who's joined us in Twitch, um and everyone who's joined in as well. So Tultepe, Avina, um Ooh ninety. Ooh we? Is that a bad spelling of we oui? as in uh, French? we oui. like, Yes, we oui, French we oui? uh Gwince is here as well, Gwintz uh Josie's husband and mm-hmm. Yes, nice to meet you as well, we. Oui? Oh ooh.
1: Yeah. Oh my god, we oui, if you are my project manager Fuck you, Thomas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we we do cover a lot of different subjects on uh, documentation not included. We we cover game development, we talk about software development, we talk We've been doing a lot of shows recently more around uh, processes and just the general kind of uh, people side of development as well. And it's it's we usually like I said we usually do have another host as well, Josie who's off today. Um so yes, please do come and join us again. Um what was I up to? I was reading a script and then I got distracted by someone chatting in chat. Um, yeah, so you can... Um, uh, you, that's it. Anyway, it's your, your, your go, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you can come visit our website at uh, www. W, the, the dnistream.live where you can find links to our Discord, Twitter, YouTube channel like literally everything that we are as a podcast um, you can use the website to contact us uh, if you have any grievances uh, or you hate us or if you want to be a guest, which uh, we highly invite. Because w- without guests, we tend to get pretty rambly as you may have noticed this episode.
0: Well, I don't know. I think uh, we've done all right today. I think, I think no, I, th- I,
1: think, I think we did a stellar job, but it's always better with a guest. <laughs> um, so, yeah, being the dev podcast, we have also the source code for our website, which the fabulous Chris created and it's still maintaining. Mm-hmm. It's available on github.com slash documentation not included for anyone not interested. For anyone interested, sorry. I don't know where that not come from. That's totally on <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that I don't mean I'm not interested. Uh, I'm falling apart. It's, it's
0: fine. Don't worry about it, Patrick. It's, it's, it's uh, I know nobody enjoys yeah. development. It's fine. <laughs> oh, um, come
1: on. I love development. So, yes,
0: thank you to Patrick, our guest, for today. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) So, again, for anybody new, Patrick hasn't been around for a few weeks, but he is a host of the podcast. uh, For
1: for, for the longest time. It was like two months, wasn't it? It
0: was, was, and he's very, very thankful to have you back, and especially with a new microphone as well, so he sounds a lot clearer than he did previously. Um, High
1: fidelity.
0: And, uh, yes, hopefully we'll have Josie back again next week. She said, unfortunately, she she fell sick just a few hours just before the show, so uh, it's unfortunate. And thank you to the audience. Please come again next week, 7 o'clock, www.twitch.tv forward slash DNI stream. Oh, and next week, we also have, um, hopefully, we have a guest next week. Uh, It's a a guy who, on Twitter, he calls himself a failed Dutch comedian and development speaker. And he's called Paul Verbeekmast. And uh, we reached out to him a few weeks ago because uh, we found his website. We were talking about GeoCities for anybody who... Uh, used to be around in the '90s on the internet. GeoCities was—it's um, infamous for having really awful websites with mouse trails and you know marquees and blink tags and really horrible flashing backgrounds. Anyway, go you and mean check amazing, amazing. <laughs> but this is this is a particularly amazing website. Um, so if you go to his website, this is our guest for next week. It's www.paulvm.com. Uh, check it out. The guy who. Put that website together is coming on oh. the show next week. <laughs> oh, ah, Oh my eyes! Yes. So, and he's also got a. If he's still got it, he's got a wonderful mustache as well. So he'd be giving us a run for our money, Patrick.
1: It is beautiful.
0: So, thank you, everybody. It's a goodbye from Patrick.
1: Goodbye. And
0: it's a goodbye from me. Catch you later.
1: Bye.